Tonight's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Um, If you've got the Pew Bibles, it's on page 836. So that's Luke chapter 5, starting from verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you, Hannah. Friends, it wouldn't be a surprise to you that uh, this series is one of my favourites. Whenever we talk about Jesus, sharing Jesus with other people, it, uh, it motivates me, it gets me excited, it gets me uh, prayerful, it gets me focused on, on the good news of Jesus Christ. And what we want to see happen is that for all of us that we are so moved by the gospel that we cannot help but love people, engage with people and share his good news. And let me say today as we consider the issue of sharing the gospel, you just never know when someone's going to ask you for, for the reason that they hope you have. You never know where you're going to be when someone's going to say, hey, by the way, can you tell me what a Christian is and how to become one? I don't know if anyone's ever asked you that question. I remember... Uh, several years ago, walking down uh, George Street in the city. I was about to meet my wife, who at that stage worked in the city, and by chance, or by God's sovereign plan, I ran into her brother, my brother-in-law, and uh, we're just chatting, uh, walking along, and we moved from George Street, I remember, down to Pitt Street, down a busy Pitt Street, and then he said to me, he said, Ange, I've been thinking about what a Christian is, and I reckon a Christian is this, out of nowhere, right? He says, what do you think? So there I was, walking down Pitt Street, saying... You've almost got it right. Uh, what you said about that is correct, but let me explain to you what a follow of Jesus is and how to become one. It may happen to you in a school playground. It may happen after a football game. It may happen while you're at a cafe having coffee with a friend. It may be at university. You're sitting down after a lecture. And I say, well, you're a Christian, right? So what's a Christian? Or why are you a Christian? And you're able to articulate the gospel. We uh, talked last week about the import, or two weeks ago, the importance of prayer. Salvation is a spiritual work. You will never convert anyone. I will never convert anyone. So I say to people in evangelism, relax, be calm. It's not about you. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to love people and to uh, share the gospel as we have opportunity. I don't have to think, oh, God, I've got to work really hard, God. I'm going to get him over the line. It's not up to you. It's up to the Spirit of God working in the lives of people. So one of the first things we need to think about evangelism, be natural, relax, everyone. Don't get stressed. We all get stressed about evangelism, don't we? If they ask me the question, what am I going to say? Calm down, take a deep breath, and just be ready and available. And secondly, we said last week, know your personal story. Because your story of conversion will connect with different people. Today is... The theme of what is the gospel, how do you share it and how do you make connections? But I want to start firstly with the importance, if you're going to share the gospel, you need to engage with non-Christian people. 
engage with non-Christian people. Now, I'm sure you all do that. You go to school, you go to university, you go to work, you play sport, all types of things. But be very focused on that. Be a friend of sinners is how uh, they describe Jesus. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Jesus attracted people who were on the edges, far from the religious people, far from church. There's something about his message and the way he treated people that they wanted to get near him. Friends, we need to live in such a way that the people who are lost want to get near us to find out what it is that we have. What is that message? But the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Luke 15, for example, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yes, we welcome sinners, because we're sinners. And sure, some people are worse sinners than others. Some are murderers and some are in prison. And some people go to prison to do ministry. Uh, We have a fellow who's been in prison for a number of years now who's studying at Moreland College, studying theology on day release. Sent to prison, heard the gospel, transformed, and now he's studying the Bible, hoping to serve Christ in the future. Some people go to that group or to the, to the drug, uh, drug areas. And I, I said this morning, uh, you know, if you want to reach the people involved in the, uh, the various gangs in Greenacre, just duck every so often when the guns are shot, right? <laughs> Be careful where you go. Be sensible. But Jesus was there and he attracted people. In Luke 19, remember, Jesus um, met Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was up on a tree and Jesus said, I mate, I'm, I'm coming to your house today. He invites himself to the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus jumps down so excited, he runs uh, to the house and he gathers all his friends. And in his encounter with Jesus, he is transformed. And Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's what I'm on about. And John Dixon puts it this way. He says, Jesus' friendship with sinners gave people a tangible sign of the welcoming grace of God. His questionable dining habits were not merely an attempt to buck the system of his day. They were an illustration of the fellowship with sinners God so keenly desires. This is the mission to which we are called. Our entire life, including our social life, should demonstrate the Lord's desire to have fellowship with sinners. Are you a friend of sinners? They love you. Do they hang out with you? Do they ask you about your saviour? Let me tell you about uh, three people that I call friends of sinners that have been uh, part of my life. Firstly, uh, Daryl Knapp. Daryl, I call him a friend of sinners and teenagers and primary school kids in Marrickville where I grew up. He's the one who introduced me to Jesus. He ran an inter-school Christian fellowship group in his primary school. Uh, He then set up an after-school Christian group in his classroom on a Friday evening to which I was invited at the beginning of year nine. Beginning uh, middle of year 10, I gave my life to Jesus. This guy uh, would run programs, would take us on outings. He would take us to Tempin bowling events. He would take us rowing at the National Park. You see, we grew up in ethnic families and Greek families where our dad didn't take us anywhere. They worked in a factory, you know, six o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night. They were never happy. (laughs) My parents were never happy. Well, dad wasn't. Mum was happier. Because they were just too tired, but this guy, Daryl's a guy who invested in us. This guy would get on, he never had a, a license those days. He'd get on his push bike and ride around the community. Stop at the local parks and hang out and play football with the kids. Or they're playing cricket, so he stops and plays. More than that, he will stop at the homes of, of the parents. The parents would see him coming, Mr. Knapp, Mr. Knapp, stop. And they would all come and talk to him. 
When he decided to buy a house, he bought a house in the area so he could live amongst the people that he was serving. He's a friend of sinners on a mission from God, right, to make a difference. Then when we got older, he ran a young adults Bible study group. So this one guy is running a primary school Christian group, an after school youth group by himself on a Friday evening with up to 30, 40 kids, the day she could do that, and running a young adults Bible study midweek and then being involved in his local church. Friend of sinners. Let me tell you about uh, Shane. Shane was a friend of sinners I met at Springwood. Uh, Shane, though, did not have a very good education. He dropped out of school early and he was working in the Bilo shopping centre. Do they still exist, Bilo? Like IGA, yep, that type of thing. And um, he always had a story every time because he'd come on Sunday and said, Angel, I believe who I had a conversation with. Because all the workers were the 15, 16 year old kids who had dropped out of school, didn't necessarily have a future, they weren't going to university. They weren't going to change the world. They're just surviving. And he'd have a story of who was sleeping with who and what drugs they were on, how he was trying to get them off the drugs, off off smoking, off to pick up the pieces of of sexual abuse or other things that had taken place. He, He couldn't wait to get back to see these kids and tell them about Jesus' love. A friend of sinners. One day he said to me, he said, Andrew, I'm going to go to Bible college. And I thought, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Can he study? Can he write an essay? You're going to go to Bible college. And uh, he started at what was called the Emmaus Bible College, a Brethren College. After two weeks, he was about to resign. He said, I can't do it. You've got to write essays. You've got to read all these books. I can't do it. He hung in there. Then he went on to work as a chaplain with power to change in a local school because he loved kids. He wanted to serve them. He's now a leader in the power to change schools ministry. Or take Ado, he's one of our cross-cultural workers. At the age of 24, 25, uh, he's been working among surf- the surfing community here in Australia. And then he decided that God gave him a call to go to overseas, Southeast Asia, to start a ministry amongst surfers and to, to work amongst the poor and the needy for over 20 years now, working there. A friend of sinners, seeing Hindus come to Christ, seeing surfers come to Christ. So Muslims come to Christ. We need to be friends of sinners. When I think about these people, they just inspire me uh, to be better at what I'm seeking to do for Christ. And then uh, that second thing, we need to rub shoulders with unbelievers. That's what I think that Bible passage uh, is telling us that was read earlier. We need to be in a place where we are mixing Christians with non-Christians in the same space so they can see what we believe and how we live and the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Again, when Jesus calls them, they come. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. He's given up his tax collecting. He's giving up cheating. He's giving up ripping people off. He's giving up working for the Romans. He follows Jesus. Then Levi, listen to what he does. His evangelism strategy. You want a strategy? This is it. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. He's wealthy. He's been ripping people off, right? He's got plenty of money. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. When Jesus turns up to the party, his disciples, his apostles come with him, right? It's not just Jesus. They travel with him. The Pharisees and teachers of the law belong to their sect, complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Some people are always going to complain when we're trying to reach Jesus or people for Jesus. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Throws a party, 
and mixes Jesus with the people who need to hear about his love and his mercy. Mark Middleberg has written a book called Becoming a Contagious Christian. And he says in there, don't forget the barbecue first principle. When we're trying to reach people, maybe to invite them to a gospel event, uh, get them along to uh, tacos. What have you got, young adults? Tacos and trivia and so on. You've got to have friendships with people who don't know Jesus if you're going to bring them, right? You can't just go to someone you've never met before. Hey, by the way, do you want to come? You build relationships and then they might come with you to something like that. Now, I was at, uh, when I was at studying to be a teacher at Sydney Teachers College years ago, and uh, the guys in my group uh, organised a barbecue in what I thought was the Wild West, uh, Wentworthville near Parramatta. And, uh, and they said, we're having our year group, all our maths teachers, about 20 of us, we got, got invited uh, to Wentworthville. And uh, we're going to have a barbecue. And some of the people in my uh, year group were played in a bit of a band. They put a band together and they had some songs. So you come over, we're going you know, to play some songs and we're going to you know, have a rocking good time or something. And, uh, and so we turned up and we had a barbecue and they played. It was fun. I'm, I was the only Christian in this place of 20 people. And then there was a guy called Gary. Gary had never talked about spiritual things before. I'd known him now for two or three years. But when everyone else had gone back inside and we're still in, in the garage, I remember, he started to ask me questions about spiritual things out of nowhere again. And we started, for the next 20 minutes, we're talking about Jesus, what a Christian is, how to become one. So I don't know, someone was speaking into his life, maybe he'd met someone, who, maybe a friend had become a Christian, and he just wanted to know what it was all about. He never, not, doesn't end well, didn't become a Christian. Hopefully he may have in the future. But what I'm saying, when you're in the place with people, if they want to know an answer, they're going to ask you. I've seen that happen uh, at, at the Sydney Olympic um, Swimming centre, my daughter's swimming, Caitlin was swimming, I'm up in the stand, there's a lady next to me, asking me about what I believe and why I believe it, share the gospel. I've done it by the netball court, I've done it wherever it happens to be. When we are with people, it arouse their curiosity. And so who, do you, who will you share the gospel with? Let me give you three categories of people. Firstly, people you know. Think through the people you know, friends, contacts, uh, university friends, schoolmates, Think about what you can do with them and mix them with Christians so they get to know more Christians than simply you. People you used to know. Now, probably you guys didn't used to know that many people because you're still young. But these guys used to know a lot of people in the past. And um, my wife has been to uh, school reunions. You have a reunion 20 years down the track and all of a sudden, when she went to one of those, there's about 10 or 12 of them who then kept in contact with each other. It's almost like a connection. We went to school together. Now we're going to become friends in our 40s and 50s. Opportunities then to share Christ with them. People you used to know. Now, I'm a bit of a Facebook stalker. So I'm looking around here. You guys know that. I post about my granddaughter, about the soccer, about church, ministry, Jesus. I try to mix it all up. I don't have any debates. I'm not doing debating on theology, right? on social media, but I just try and get the words out there. So if a new person comes, I try and find out a little bit about them and try to connect them up with Jesus. I was reading a story of a lady called Kathy. She was a new Christian, did an evangelism training course. Not like just a one sermon like this, but, you know, a six-week course, uh, six nights. And one of the things was to maybe ring an old friend. So she rang an old friend. Old friend's name was Raylene, and Raylene was uh, was now married, And then when she spoke to her, Raylene's husband 
was in hospital dying of a terminal illness. She didn't have anyone for support. So Kathy became the support person. A phone call in the sovereign plan of God to connect with someone who needed someone to love them. Kathy shared the gospel with her husband and with Raylene. Her husband gave his life to Christ and Raylene also became a Christian. Her husband died soon afterwards from cancer and Kathy and Raylene, these old friends who reconnected, were baptised in the same service in their church. Isn't God good? You never know when you contact people from the past. Just be open, people you know, people you used to know, and then people you would like to know. Maybe at university, maybe at school. I think, oh, I'd like to know them and get to know them a little bit better. Maybe someone where you buy your coffee, maybe where you shop. Whatever it happens to be, think about people or in your sporting teams. You'd like to know them a little bit better and pray that God would give you opportunities for conversations. But having thought about all those people, engaging with people, mixing with people, in order to get to know them, be an authentic friend, but also to share Christ, if they ask you what you believe, what are you going to say? And so I'm going to, um, the next few minutes, sermon's over. Now you're going to get four sermons. <laughs> 40 mini gospel presentation sermons. Because I've been trained and I've used a multi multitude of gospel outlines and I don't necessarily say point one is this, point two is this. You just let it flow, right, naturally. But the better you know the gospel presentations, the easier it is to present the gospel when you ask that question. And so the first one we often use is called the Bridge to Life illustration, organised by the navigators and uh, used in various forms. And I will often use this at our Christian Explained courses. I use it with our playtime ministry. They have a going deeper evangelistic course. My first session, the first 10 minutes, I do the Bridge to Life illustration. So if people never come back to the next week or the third week, they've heard the gospel in 10 minutes. It goes like this, and you'll be familiar with it. I'll say, you know, God, you see the first picture. Sometimes I'll get a piece of paper and draw it all up. And I'll say, oh, would you like me to draw it? It makes it easier for you to understand it. And so I get a piece of paper, got a pen, they're sitting next to me, and I'm drawing these pictures as I tell them the story. And I'll say, God, is, uh, God loves us and God created us to have a relationship with him. Isn't it lovely that God's given us a beautiful world and he wants fellowship with us, relationship. He just wants us to be uh, close to one another. But then that's not how we see the world. And then I draw the two cliffs there. It's not how you see the world. We are now separated from God because we blew it. We've sinned against God. We've gone our own way. We, we didn't listen to his word. We chose to disobey him. Now, just jumping a little bit ahead. Uh, great. Thank you. Oh, it's such a magic. Uh, and then I'll say, but most of us realize that there is the, the, the divine or a God of some form, whether Hinduism or Islam or Buddhism. We always think about a higher power of some form or a God. So we think about how can we connect with this God and be right with this God. And we try, as hard as we try, thanks, Keith, we fall short. Right? You say, we want to try and get to God, but we, it doesn't matter how hard we try, we always fall short. Because the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're never quite, we're not perfect to get to the other side. We can't get there. And more than that, though, the wages of sin is death. So not only do we sin, the judgment that we deserve is death. That's physical death, that's why we all die. But also spiritual death means we're separated from God forever. Well, that's the bad news. And as you're drawing that up, you're going, well, what do we do now? So listen, the good news is coming. 
The good news is, the center of the Christian message is that God sent Jesus to die for us. We get the cross, I draw up the cross. No, I do it in a different color, you know, so it stands out on your piece of paper. And what Jesus did, he became a bridge back to God. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross in our place, took the punishment for our sins, which means that if we believe in him and turn away from the way we used to live, put our faith in him, sorry, step back. Yes, when he's done that, through his death, he also destroyed death. Thanks to the cross. Yeah, I forgot the cross. Down the bottom, he destroyed death. And then if you believe in him, you can cross over, become one of God's friends. Isn't that good? At the end of it, you applaud, right? They've gone over, right? New life. And so isn't that good? Someone's, a Christian someone who's gone from being separated from God now to being united to God and on his side. And I'll say, once you believe that and join God's side, you have forgiveness, you have forgiveness, you have friendship with God, you have eternal life, you have meaning and purpose. God puts his Holy Spirit in you now to help you to live this new life. You don't do it on your own. But your salvation is a, a work of God's grace. It's a gift from God, not what you do. And then I, once you do that, then you say at the end, now tell me, where do you think you are on that line? Are you on the other side? Are you getting close to the bridge? Have you crossed over? That gives you an opportunity then to have a conversation about where they're at. That's one I often use called Bridge to Life. Next one is a familiar one that many of you will know. And we have uh, leaflets outside. It's, again, you can draw the pictures in this if you uh, like to practice it. It's called the Two Ways to Live Tract, and it starts, and when you're doing this, God, God is the good, loving ruler and creator. And I'll draw, he draw, you draw the world, right? God does the circle. God creates the world, and you do a crown representing God. God creates the world, and he places man and woman. Oh, back one, sorry. No, no, we're still the first one. Uh, cr- uh, puts man under his authority to rule the world and to look after it. But, next, next one, thanks. But we see that's not how we see the world today. We all reject God's righteous rule in our lives. We like to do things our own way and we make ourselves king. You draw a little crown. That's true, isn't it? You like to do your own thing. You don't like anyone else telling you how to run your life. And we're like that with God. The Bible says, and there's a verse with each of these, and we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to their own way. What will God do about that? Well, God's not going to allow people to continue to sin forever. Next one. Because God is just. God is holy. So therefore, he will judge. Though First of all, we'll die and there will be a judgment for all of us who've rejected God. Hebrews 9.27, you can read that verse. But again, that's the bad news. But God so loved us that he sent Jesus. The next one. Jesus, notice again, you've got the circle of the world, you've got the crown God, but Jesus lived under uh, the rule of God, his father, obeyed him, lived perfectly, he didn't rebel, and he then suffered and died for our taking our sins. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But he didn't just die for us. The, and I say to people, the crux of Christianity is this, not simply that he died, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And Jesus now is the ruler. So you put the J up on the crown now, because Jesus is God the Son. And Jesus is now ruling over the world. And if we put our faith in him, we have the hope of eternal life. And you can read 1 Peter 1.3. Then is the choice decision, the final one. Therefore, there are two ways to live. 
You can submit to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, make him king in your life, or you can continue to run your own life and be your own king. But whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. I shared this with a guy once uh, sitting in my office doing Christianity Explained. Because he said, oh, this is a nice message about Jesus. I said, what are you going to do about it? Will you choose to follow Jesus? No, I don't think so. I'll just do my own thing. I said, why wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? Oh, no, I just don't want anyone telling me how to run my life. I said, well, if you continue like that, I said to him, and this is where you, you have to make the hard call. If you continue living that way, you will still remain under God's wrath and judgment, and you go to judgment day unforgiven. And then you suffer eternity in hell under God's judgment. He said, I don't like that. I don't like a God who's going to do that to me. I said, well, you see, when you think you run the world, you've got your little crown on, and you continue to rebel against God, that's the natural outcome of your decision. Thirdly, a much shorter one, I often use this with religious people. A lot of people uh, often say, oh, I hear you're religious, are you? And I'll say, no, mate, religion is dangerous. I said, religion is destructive. Don't get religious, it will destroy your life. And they normally get stunned by that. They say, what do you mean? I mean, you're a priest, right? You're a pastor. You know, you're a reverend. Of course you like religion. I said, no, no, religion, listen carefully. Religion is spelled D-O. It's what you do to try and impress God so he can let you into heaven. Every religious system in the world outside of Christianity believes this. How many t- pray so many times, uh, go to Mecca so many times, give so much money to the poor, whatever it happens to be, do these things, it will impress God and he will let you into heaven. That's religion. The problem with that is you never know whether you've done enough. And the Bible says we can never do enough. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so then I say, well, Christianity is spelled, not D-O, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's done. It's not what you do to find salvation. It's what Christ has done on your behalf. He lived the perfect life. He died the sacrificial death. He rose again from the dead. If you believe in him, he offers you the free gift of eternal life. Do you get that? Romans 6.23. The free gift of eternal life. And when we do Christianity Explained, in study number four, we look at grace versus works. And many people go, wow, I never knew it worked that way. Because most people think good works will lead to salvation. It's the wrong way around. Salvation will lead to good works as an overflow of a relationship with Jesus. It's very different. And many people from, I say, an Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholic position come to faith when they understand this truth from the Scriptures. And then there's uh, one final one. There was an old uh, Anglican evangelist called John Chapman uh, who worked in Australia. Funny preacher, interesting, great storyteller. And he passed away a number of years ago and um, he had a model called, I call it John Chapman model, God, man, God, what if he does, what if he won't? And it's easy to remember in your mind. Um, Again, it's similar to the others. God creates us for relationship and fellowship, but man or woman or person or human, whatever you want to throw in there, we've all rejected God's rule in our lives, which leads to sin, which leads leads to a messed up world. But 
God so loves us. God is so gracious. God is so willing to pursue us all the way to the cross. Hanging up there saying, I love you. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, Jesus hang up on a cross saying, I love you. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to be reconciled to God. I want you. I'm after you. I'm chasing you. Let them put the nails in my wrist. Let them put them in my feet. Let them hang me up. Because I do it for you. Because I love you. And then, again, the response, what if he does? What if the person repents and believes? They find forgiveness. I think we're on to the next one. I've got that and the next one. If he does repent and believe, he gets forgiveness, eternal life, friendship with God and Holy Spirit and so on. If he doesn't, again, you want to give him the two options. Don't just say, oh, well, Jesus loves you. This is what you need to have. Tell him what happens on an alternative. If he won't repent, the person remains under God's judgment. I remember giving a, a tract of the two ways to live with a woman who was in uh, the last uh, few weeks of her life. The family contacted me because we had some links here with the church. So will you come and visit this person? She's dying, but she'd like to talk to you. So I visited her first at home and then later in hospital. And I took a New Testament with me and I took the two ways to live tract. And she was in and out of consciousness and sometimes she was better. And I said, listen, when you're feeling a little bit better, I prayed for her, why don't you have a read of this? This will explain the message of Jesus. And there's a prayer at the end, which will show you how you can make peace with God. So you don't have long to go. I left it with her. I didn't know what had happened. A couple of days later, three or four days later, she passed away. They came to tell me, said, Ange, before she passed away, she was lucid enough, she read the gospel tract, she repented and she placed her faith in the Lord Jesus. She wanted you to know that. She wanted you to know that. Friends, there's no greater news, no greater message to know that someone has, has met Jesus even in their final moments to find peace with God. Why do we do any of this? Why do we do this series? Why do we gather in Jesus' name? Why do we run kids' clubs and youth groups and craft groups and playtime groups? Because Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to God. Friends, we have a message of life. May God help us and inspire us to get that out to as many people as possible. Amen.